This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Gee, no time for chatting tonight, so it's straight to the action, and there will be listening to another episode of Dimension X. This program first aired in 1950, and it's entitled, And the Moon Be Still. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension X. Tonight, transcribed from Ray Bradbury's collection, The Martian Chronicles, we present, And the Moon Be Still as Bright. The first three expeditions to Mars left Earth in a mushroom of flame, arced through the atmosphere and finally dwindled to tiny specks in the big eye of Mount Palomar Telescope, and then were lost to sight forever. The prearranged landing signals flashed back to Earth, and then the radios went dead. One after the other, ships had disappeared and were never heard from again. But still the rockets came. The fourth expedition emerged from the silent gulfs of space and angled down toward the floating red disk of Mars, down into an orbit, as the order came to land. Stand by for deceleration. Deceleration, aye, sir. Skids down. Skids down, sir. Engine room. Engine room, aye. Landing procedure. Fire one, three, and five. Aye, sir. blast of the bow jets broke red against the blue desert sands, and the ship slid to a halt at the edge of a vast city that reflected the icy glare of the moonlight. For a while, all was still. All right, Park Hill. Open the airlock. Aye, sir. Fresh air. How about a fire, Captain Wilder? It's freezing. Later. We've got work to do. Smell that air. You could get drunk on it. Say, there's an idea. Why don't we break out a bottle and celebrate? Biggs, there'll be no drinking done till we're secured. But uh, we're landed, Captain. Three other expeditions landed and disappeared within 24 hours. We're not relaxing security till we find out what happened to them. Maybe Martians? Exactly, Pargill. Spender, you're an archaeologist. How old would you say those buildings are? Somebody built these cities? Oh, I can't tell till I study them more closely. It's a kind of engineering we couldn't duplicate on Earth. Those thin, reed-like towers and the stone filigree wouldn't stand up under Earth pressure. Beautiful, aren't they? I'm not interested in the architecture now. I want to make sure there's nothing there that might be dangerous. Mr. Hathaway. Uh, yes, sir. I want you to take a reconnaissance party into the city and find out what's there. The cities all look dead from the air, sir. They look dead, but I want to make sure. Mr. Spender, you better go with Hathaway. Yes, sir. Don't waste any time gathering relics, either. You can make an archaeological study later. Right now, I want a security report. Biggs? Yes, sir. We'll set up camp right here. No man is to go more than 50 feet from the rocket. And there'll be no celebration till Hathaway and his party report back. No, sir. It's uh, just that uh, we've been cooped up in there. That's all, Biggs. We've landed safely. We're not safe yet. Not until we know what we're up against here. We'll maintain full security until Hathaway gets back. (laughs) 
sea bottoms, the wind stirred along faint vapors, and from the mountain's great stone visages looked upon the silvery rocket and the small fire. The sky was black overhead as the two racing moons threw knife-edged double shadows on the desert. All rats, come and get it, chow. You got the eight, Jackie. Sawdust. Smothered in cold lamb fat. Good. I thought it was something I couldn't eat. Hey, you guys, pipe down. Captain, Mr. Hathaway's back. Uh, Captain, Captain Wallace. Over here, Mr. Hathaway. Well? Most of the city is dead, sir. Spender says it's been dead a good many thousand years. But we found one part about a mile over. What about it? People were living in it last week, sir. People? Martians. I see. Where are they now? Dead. We found the bodies. Thousands of bodies. They hadn't been dead more than ten days. What did they die of? You won't believe it. What killed them? Chicken pox. Chicken pox? Yes, I made tests. It worked differently on Martians than on Earth people. Burned them black and dried them out to brittle flakes. But where could they get chicken pox? From Earth, sir. And the other rockets did get through? Yes, sir. I don't know what the Martians did to them, but I sure know what they did to the Martians. Gave them chicken pox and wiped them out. They just didn't have any resistance to an earth disease. There aren't any of them left? There won't be any. When a thing like that starts spreading, sir, there's no stopping it anywhere. It's a thousand to one that's killed them all. This planet is through. Incredible. Think of it, Captain. A dirty, silly child's disease like chicken pox. It isn't right. Spender, take it easy. No, it's, it's like saying the Greeks died of mumps or, or the proud Roman Empire collapsed because of athlete's foot. We didn't even give them a decent excuse for dying. We just gave them chicken pox. Spender, get hold of yourself. We didn't see those bodies, Captain. It must have been a shock, I suppose. You need a rest, a little relaxation. Martians are dead. There's nothing you can do about it now. Hey, you hear that? The Martians are all dead. Well, come on. Let's break out a bottle and whoop it up. How about it, Captain? Well, all right, man. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Hathaway, seat of the security guard. Yes, sir. <laughs> Good Lord, do they have to do that now? It's been a tough trip. It's only natural they'd want to celebrate a little. Celebrate because the world died? Because a rotten little virus from Earth wiped out a whole civilization? Well, they're not thinking of Isn't that. Isn't there time later to throw old beer cans into the canals? A civilization died here. It's like butchering a pig in a churchyard. Spender, you think too much. We're lucky to get to Mars without catching a meteor in our bulkheads. Let it go at that. Save on Mars. The first statement, save on Mars. We gotta celebrate. Yahoo! Many bottles were opened and drunk. The voices got louder. The earth laughs and shouts echoing across the empty Martian sands. There was a time in New York when I ran into that blonde. Boy, what a blonde. Listen, the first thing she said... Spender listened to the wind over his ears, cool and whispering. He felt the land getting cooler. The stars drew closer, very clear. The air smelled clean and new. He looked at the cool ice of the white Martian buildings over there on the empty sea lands. <laughs> what a woman! What a woman! Hey, what do we do with these empty bottles? Save them. There's a two-cent deposit. <laughs> Throw them away. Wait. How about that building? Do the one for a buck, I can heave one right through that window. You're right. Here goes. Bullseye! I am a buck. Double or nothing on the next shot? Put that bottle down, figs. Who's that, Mr. Spender? Stop smashing those windows. What's the difference? Planet's ours now. I guess I can do anything with it that I want. Drop that bottle, I'll knock your teeth out. Yeah? Just watch me. <laughs> I warned you, big head. Spender, what is this? I hit him. He's crazy, Captain. He just walked up and slugged me. Biggs wasn't doing that. All right, let go of him. You men, go back to your party. Spender, come with me. Yeah, I like yes, that sir. guy. Just walks up to him and slugs me. What? Spender, suppose you explain. What was the idea? Oh, the noise, the drunken brawl. I guess I was ashamed of the spectacle the whole crew was making. Where's their respect for what's happened? 
a sense of what's right. Men are tired. It's been a long trip. You've got a different way of seeing things. I'm seeing things all right. I'm seeing how we'll ruin Mars. We'll rip it up, rip the skin off the way we've already ruined Earth. We Earthmen have a talent for ruining big, beautiful things. Is that why you hit bigs? Yes, I couldn't stand the idea of them watching us make fools of ourselves. Them? The Martians. The Martians? They're dead. All dead. But they know we're here. Doesn't an old thing always know when a new thing comes? We've come a long way to smash their windows and spit in their wine. Well, maybe you're right. I'm finding you $50 for that fight. Now suck in your shin. We'll go back there and play happy. Now the whole party moved out into the moonlight across the desert. They made their way into the dreaming dead city. The light of the racing twin moons glinted on the barrel of a pistol, the long blade of a machete, the round, gurgling shape of a raised bottle. Their shadows under them were double shadows on the ice-blue sand. They were waiting, waiting for something to stir in the dead city, something to rise, some ancient ancestral shape to come galloping across the vacant sea bottom on an ancient armored steed of impossible lineage, of unbelievable derivation. Look at it, Captain. Down those avenues in the mist. You can almost see them. The mind's eye populated the dead city. Each window was given a person who leaned from it and waved slowly, as if under some timeless water, at some moving form in the fathoms of space below the moon-silvered towers. There were faint murmurs of sound, and odd animals scurrying across the grey-red sands. The wind blew in from the dead sea bottom and brushed through the silvery wire filigree of the towers. A strange music drifted down to the double-shadowed streets, a thin, haunted music that played as it had played through the uncounted years of time. Nobody moved. The moons held and froze them. The wind beat slowly around them. Hey, out there! You people in the city! Thanks. Why, I just wanted to make a little noise. Come on. They built this city thousands of years ago. And now where are they? How did they die? Who cares? They're dead. It's good enough for me. Uh, Lord Byron. What? Lord Byron, an old 19th century poet. He wrote a poem that fits this city. Might have been written by the last Martian. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears the sheath, and the soul outwears its breast, and the heart must pause to breathe, and love itself must rest. Though the night was made for loving, and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. Without a word, the earth men stood in the center of the city. It was a clear night. There was not a sound except the music of the wind. At their feet lay a tile court worked into the shapes of ancient animals and images. They stood there, silvered by the double moons beneath the crystal towers of Mars. And then Biggs was sick, and the sour stench of liquor filled the cool air. The men of Earth had come to Mars. And Spender turned and walked away into the city alone in the moonlight, never once stopping to look back. That you, Hathaway? Yes, sir. My trick on Judge Watcher. What time is it? Oh, 0400. Any orders, sir? No, I'll stay on watch. You turn in. Aren't you sleeping, sir? I'll wait for Spender. He didn't come in? No. He's crazy. Walking away into the shadows, he didn't even look back. Spender's a strange man. He's crazy, sir. How's the rest of the crew? Sleeping it off. Biggs had DTs, but he's calmed down now. You can go back below, Hathaway. I'll take your watch. Captain Wilder. 
Do you think Spendle will be coming in before morning? I don't know. You know, sir, I don't think he's ever coming back. That's the way I feel about him, sir. He'll never come back. It was a morning that might have been a Monday, or a Tuesday, or any day on Mars. Biggs was on the canal rim, his feet hung down in the cool water, soaking, while he took the sun in his face. What are you doing back here, Biggs? Didn't you go out with his search party? Yeah, I come back. I got a blister. Sure, sure. What do you mean? Look. Look, Cherokee, you see that? <laughs> anyway, I had enough search in four days hunting for that screwball spender. Didn't find him yet, huh? Nah, good riddance. Oh, my feet, I'm gonna soak them good. If I was wild, I wouldn't worry about that nut spender. Let him go. He's a crackpot anyway. A little foggy upstairs, I guess. Why don't you take your feet out of that canal, Biggs? I gotta make coffee out of that water. Coffee? You call that stuff coffee? I had a motorcycle once that dripped grease that tasted better than that... Wait a minute. Biggs, look over there. Where? By that bush. There's someone there. Hey, it's him. Hey, Spender! Spender? Yeah, he's coming over. Why didn't he stay lost, the crazy jerk? Hi, Spender. Long time no see. Hello, Cherokee. I've been exploring some ruins. <laughs> you and them ruins. You're like a dog in a, in a boneyard. What's the matter? Where you been? Up in the hills. What would you say if I told you I found a Martian? Huh? Where? Yeah. Never mind. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you were a Martian and people came to your land and started to tear it up? I know how I'd feel. I've got Cherokee blood in me. My grandfather told me lots of things about the way they kicked the Indians around in the Oklahoma Territory. If there's any Martian around, I'm all for him. How about you, Biggs? They're dead. They're all dead. A good thing, too. Well, I found a Martian. Up in a dead town in the hills. I've been reading their books. They're easy to understand. I've learned their language. Then I found this Martian. He said, give me your boots, and I did. He said, give me your uniform, and I gave him my uniform. You're crazy, Spender. Hey, Cherokee, he's crazy. And the Martian said, give me your gun, and I gave him my gun, and then he said, come along and watch what happens. And the Martian walked down into camp, and he's here now. I don't see no Martian. I'm the last Martian. What? Biggs, I'm going to kill you. You cut it out. What kind of a lousy joke is that? Stand up and take it. Hey, put that gun away, Spender. Hey, cut it, Spender. Don't. Put that gun away. <laughs> You're joking. You're kidding, huh? Spender! Ah! Ah! He's dead. Killed him. You can come with me, Cherokee. You know how the Martians would feel. You can be in this with me. You killed him. You, you just killed him. He deserved it. You're crazy. But... Well, maybe I am. But you can come with me. Come with you? For what? Go on, go on. Get out of here, you, you, you crazy murderer. All of them. I thought you'd understand. I thought you'd remember what happened to your own people. You, you get out of here, you, you, you crazy Don't murderer. Don't reach for that gun. <laughs> <laughs> Both dead, Captain Wilder. Who's missing? Only Spender. It must have been him, sir. Why didn't he come and talk to me? Why didn't Should he... Should have talked to me. I'd have shot his brains out. That's what I'd have done. He took him by surprise. There's no sign of a struggle. Hathaway, break out the arms locker. Issue pistols, rifles, and grenades. Yes, sir. You better get the Bible out of the navigation chest. We'll have to bury these two. Park Hill. Aye, sir. You start digging a grave. How about Spender? We'll have to go up in the hills and find him. Just let me at him with my bare hands. Crazy murdering louse. That's enough, Parkhill. Man is sick. He must be. Sick my That's eye. Now grab a shovel. Start digging.
Bender saw the thin dust rising in the valley, and he knew the pursuit was beginning. The sun burned farther up the sky, and the blue sand drifted lazily across the sea bottom below. He sat beside a quiet pool, 10,000 years old, and held a silver book. Through the house played the strange wind music of ancient Mars, and he heard voices whisper in his mind. Earth man, Earth man. I hear you. Earth I've always man. heard you, even down there on Earth. Run, 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 no, I won't run. What's the use? Cliff, what for? To see them Earth tear down your man. temples and put up hot dog stands? Run, 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 run. <laughs> run, run, They've seen me. They know I'm up here. There's Wilder now. Got him right in my sights. It's funny he hasn't ordered him to use grenades. He could lob one right up here and blow me to bits. And maybe the captain thinks I'm too nice to be blown to bits. He wants my death to be clean. Yeah, just one bullet hole in me, nothing messy. And why? Because he understands me. He's the only one in the crew who ever did. Well, at least I can do the same for him. Just one bullet in his heart, a nice clean death. All I have to do is pull the trigger and then... No use, I can't do it to him. Spender! Spender, can you hear me, Spender? Yeah, I hear you, Captain. What do you want? Talk! Truce! All right, come on up. Leave your gun down there and keep your hands up. Spender, are you there? Over here. It's quite a climb. Mind if I sit down? Cigarette? Thanks. Light? Yeah, got my own. It's warm. It is. You comfortable up here in the hills? Quite. How long do you think you can hold out? About 12 men's worth. Why didn't you kill all of us this morning when you had the chance you could have... I know. I, I got sick. After I started killing people, I realized they were just fools and I shouldn't be killing them. It was too late, so I came up here where I could get angry again. Why did you do it? Because I've seen what... I've seen that what these Martians had was just as good as anything we'll ever hope to have. They stopped where we should have stopped a hundred years ago. They knew how to combine science and art and religion. They knew how to live with dignity... And peace. And for that reason, you started shooting people? When I was a kid, my folks took me to visit Mexico City. I'll always remember the way my father acted, loud and big. My mother didn't like the people because they were dark and didn't wash enough. I can see my mother and my father coming to Mars and acting the same way. Anything that's strange is no good to us. We aren't fit to take over this planet. But kill two men. What could I do? It's me against the whole Earth. Isn't it enough they've ruined one planet, now they want to ruin this one? I'll kill you all off, Wilder. That'll delay the next rocket five years. And I'll kill them, too. I'm lucky I'll live to be 60. I'll meet every expedition that lands on Mars. I'll be very friendly. I'll explain that our rocket blew up one day. And I'll kill them off. I'll save Mars for half a century. And by then, maybe the Earth people will give up. You got it all planned. Yes. Yet you're outnumbered. We already have you surrounded. In an hour, you'll be dead. I found an underground passage that'll take me back into the hills, Wilder. I'll go back there, and then I'll pick you off one by one. We'll see. It's a nice town you got here, Spender. Beautiful. I'd like to live here. You can. But join me. You're not like them. I, I'll show you what a good life these people had. I'll play an old reel of Martian music that must be at least 50,000 years old, a kind of music you've never heard in your life. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. But I can't stay with you. Sorry, Spender. I'm sorry this is happening. I guess you'd better go back now so you can start your attack. I guess so. Captain, I... I won't kill you. 
When it's all over, you'll still be alive. Then maybe you'll change your mind. No. There's too much earth blood in me. I may even agree with you about all this. That doesn't change what I've got to do. You won't stay. No. This is your last chance, Bender. You're sick. Come along with me quietly. No. Look, one last thing. If you win, do me a favor. Try to see that they don't tear this planet apart. Right. If, if it helps, just think of me as a very crazy fellow who went berserk one summer day. It'll be easier on you that way. I'll think it over. So long, Spender. Bye, Captain. Good luck. All right, we'll go after him now. Hathaway, you take the right, I'll lead on the left. You have to kill him, he won't come down. Make it a clean shot if you can. Get it over with. I'll blow his bloody brains out. No, Park Hill. His bloody Through the heart. Brains. You heard what I said. Through the heart. Now let's go get him. They spread out again, walking and then running on the hot hillside places where there would be sudden cool grottos that smelled of moss and sudden open blasting places that smelled of sun on stone. The men ran and ducked and ran and squatted in the shadows. Blow his brains out! Just one slug, that's all he needs! Captain Wilder hugged the rock warmed by the sun. He gasped that the air was thin and not meant for running. Spender lay at the top of the hill, and a gap in the rocks showed the white of his shirt against the shadows. Wilder looked at the towers of the little clean Martian village like sharply carved chess pieces lying in the afternoon. He saw the rocks and the interval between where Spender's chest was revealed. Go on, Spender, get out. You've only got a few seconds to escape. Get out to the caves and come back later. Go now, Spender. Or I've got to end it. I've got to think I'm right and pull the trigger. Go now. Get out. I'll get him. Slug in the head. I'll blow his bloody... No, Park Hill. Put down that gun. I've got to do this myself. Spender. Why didn't you get out? Why? Why? They buried him in that ancient valley town where the music of the wind played on through the days and the nights. They laid him in an ancient silver sarcophagus with waxes and wines which were 10,000 years old, his hands folded on his chest. The last they saw of him was his peaceful face in the cold silver light of the racing twin moons. The captain found the poem in Spender's pocket, and he read it before he shut the marble door. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night, though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. Though the night was made for loving, and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. The next afternoon, Park Hill did some target practice in one of the dead cities, shooting out the crystal windows and blowing the tops off the fragile towers. Captain Wilder caught Park Hill and nearly knocked his teeth out. All of you regular listeners to Dimension X will be interested to know that our show is changing its day and time of broadcast over this station. Starting early in November, we'll be back at the new time. We suggest you watch your local newspaper and be sure to join us in about four weeks for a new series of adventures into the unknown world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. Dimension X is transcribed, and the moon be still as bright. Adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy from the original story by Ray Bradbury. 
Featured in the cast were Alexander Scorby as Spender, Wendell Holmes as Captain Wilder, and your host and narrator for the story, Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is directed by Edward King. This is Robert Warren speaking. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> of Johnson's Wax for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. As a car owner, you'll soon be getting plenty of advice on how to prepare your car for winter. Well, I'd like to join the procession and suggest that you don't neglect the finish. Winter, with its extremes of temperature and its snow, ice, and rain, is very hard on the paint job. Your car deserves the extra care you can give it so easily with Johnson's Car New. The first thing it needs, of course, is a first-rate cleaning. And one advantage of Car New is that it both cleans and polishes with one application, two jobs at once. This saves so much work that you won't mind cleaning and polishing your own car with Carnew. It's a liquid applied with only as much rubbing as is necessary to loosen the dirt. Carnew dries to a powder, and when you wipe this off, you'll see again a gleaming finish you'd almost forgotten. You can get Johnson's Carnew right now at your dealers. It's spelled C-A-R-N-U. <laughs> The squire of 79 Wistful Vista is strictly a guy who likes three good meals, particularly for breakfast. <laughs> get a load of him getting a load of calories as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, McGee, you're marvelous. I am? How? The amount you eat for the amount of work you do. What you mean? <laughs> it's like stoking a steel mill to make a button hook. <laughs> Well, gee whiz, a guy with as much energy as I got has to pass the butter, will you? Thanks. Has to build up his energy. Go a little easy on that butter, dearie. I'm trying to, but it tastes awful good on wheat cakes. Yes, it has its points. <laughs> Twenty a pound, to be exact. Ah, <sighs> boy, am I full. Any more wheat cakes? Let me look. There's about six more, dearie. You want them? No, well, might as well finish them up. Ah, much obliged. Now for the... Hey, get some more syrup, will you? I'm sorry, McGee. That was the last of the maple syrup. But I'll have Beulah bring you some honey, huh? Honey? On wheat cakes? What do you think I am? A peasant? <laughs> How about some jelly or jam? My gosh, no. What's the idea running out of maple syrup right while the guy's in the middle of breakfast? Wheat cakes without maple syrup. Now, now, relax, McGee. I'll catch the first plane to Vermont and roll a barrel of it home for you. <laughs> Why go to Vermont? What's Vermont got that we haven't got? Maple syrup. And where does maple syrup come from? The grocery store. From maple trees, that's where it comes from. And what have we got standing right out there in the front yard? Oh, that man from the finance company? <laughs> no, sir, a maple tree. That's what we got standing right out there in the front yard. And why we've been paying out our good dough for maple syrup all these years with a tree practically dripping with it out in the front yard, I'll never know. Do I understand you're an expert on maple trees, too? And why not? My Uncle Sycamore had one of the biggest maple tree orchards in New England. <laughs> Whereabouts in New England? Just west of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> I'll never forget one maple tree he had that was right by my bedroom window. It'd been plugged for syrup in so many places, it looked like a king-size piccolo. <laughs> well. I remember how I used to lie there, in bed, when the wind was blowing, 
and hear that tree softly play in the old oaken bucket. Oh, <laughs> oh now look, McGee, I don't like to be a killjoy, but I seem to remember that maple trees are tapped in February or March. And that's the trouble with the whole maple syrup industry. What do you mean? Then dummies all throw their syrup on the market at the same time. <laughs> Flood the market all winter, and when summer comes, you can't buy it for love or money. Well, I wouldn't know. I've only tried money. <laughs> Let me see. What do I need to tap that tree? I'll need a brace and bit. A three-inch bit ought to be big enough to make a big enough hole. Three inches? Yeah. What are you going to do, crawl into the tree and dip it out? <laughs> you don't understand the principle of the siphon, kiddo. You've got to permit the passage of air around the aperture, oh? thus permitting the gravitation to equalize the osmosis of the hydration. <laughs> Otherwise, it creates a vacuum and inhibits the capillary attraction. <laughs> Heavenly days. Where'd you learn all that? My gosh, I took biological chemistry for two years. Until <laughs> so I got thrown out of the class. What for? I couldn't spell biological chemistry. <laughs> Seriously, McGee, are you really going to tap that tree of ours? Baby, that tree is ready. Now, that thing is so crammed with sap, it'll be like sticking a fork into a ripe grapefruit. <laughs> How much do you get out of one tree? Oh, that's a ridiculous question. How much oil do you get out of an oil well? It just keeps flowing, that's all. Well, I'd rather have a maple tree than an oil well. It's much prettier in the autumn. <laughs> Maybe we better ask Beulah how we're fixed for containers. You know, glass jars and jugs and stuff. Yeah, well, step on the buzzer, will you? I'm afraid to. Why? Well, because since you rewired it, every time I step on the buzzer... The electric heater in the bathroom burns out. <laughs> the front porch light goes on and the phonograph starts up. Now, must be some shorts in it, if you'll pardon the expression. <clears throat> well, I'll call her. Hey, Beulah! Oh, Beulah! Somebody ball for Beulah? <laughs> Mr. McGee is going to tap that tree out in front for maple syrup, Eula. Who's going to tap the witch for what? <laughs> I'm going to tap that maple tree out in front, Eula. Going to make our own maple syrup. Well, for goodness sakes, is that where that stuff come from? <laughs> yes, that's right, Eula. According to Mr. McGee, all you do is poke a hole in the tree and out it squirts. <laughs> Getting it from the grocery store is even easier, ma'am. Huh? Yeah, you just call up and they send a little squirt over with it. What I wanted to know, Beulah, is have we got enough containers to handle a few hundred gallons of syrup? A few hundred gallons? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. That little old tree must be just a pile of juice with bark around it. Oh, he's an authority on maple trees, Beulah, he says. His uncle was in the business. Yeah, used to watch him do it every spring, Beulah, when I was a kid. We had a skating pond right near the woods and used to watch them while we skated. I used to be quite a skater, too. People used to just stand and watch me as I glid from one side of the pond to the other. As you watch them? Glid. You mean uh, glided? I do not. You don't say I slided down a hill on my sled, do you? No, sir, that's slewed. <laughs> no, no, Beulah, it's slid. When I was a little gal, I rid on a sled all winter. You mean road, Beulah. Okay, so I glowed across the ice. <laughs> anyway, that's how I learned to tap maple trees. How do we, what have we got to catch the stuff in, Beulah? Well, you can use that old wash bottle in the basement. Fine, fine. Yeah, and we got a couple of big lard cans in the back room. Great, great. <laughs> and we got a lot of mason jars, Beulah? Yes, but I didn't want to mention them on account of Mr. McGee not being a member. <laughs> We, we won't tell the Masons anything about it, Bueller. <laughs> I'll just put the stuff into the jars surreptitiously. You'll put it in the jars surreptitiously. Look what the man did. <laughs> I love that man. Billy Mills and the orchestra play Cheek to Cheek.
get a few barrels. A few barrels of what? Empty barrels to store the maple syrup in. Hand me the classified directory, will you? Here you are. Thanks. Let's see, barrels, barrels. The barrel of fun dance hall, 20 beautiful hostesses. Yeah. <laughs> Ten ugly bouncers. <laughs> Benny's Barrel House. Food and drink for man and beast. <laughs> Try not to act like a beast. Maybe you can find something under Hogshead or Keg. Oh, no, here it is. Wistful Vista Barrel Company. Barrels made from seasoned oak staves and rustless iron hoops, my dear. <laughs> oh, that's the one. Hand me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me the Wistful Vista Barrel Come, Come, come. Is that you, Mert? Oh, dear. <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? His, eh? What's say, Mert? Your grandfather. Been hollering his head off all week because somebody stepped on his corn, eh? Well, I don't blame him, Mert. Well, that's a lot of fuss to make just because somebody steps on your corn. He not only stepped on it, he spilled it all over the basement. <laughs> what say, Mert? Oh, no answer, eh? Well, thanks anyhow, Mert. No luck? No. But I can get Joe's Tavern to send me over a few empty barrels. That'll be lovely. We'll have maple syrup with a slight tang of stale beer. <laughs> well, I got to get to work. Now, let's see. Here's my bracing bit and a funnel. I'll have Joe send me over a spigot, too. That's a great idea. Then every time we have wheat cakes, Beulah can run out to the backyard and draw a quart of maple syrup. <laughs> Certainly. Remind me to send five pounds of maple sugar to Aunt Sarah, too. She can't eat maple sugar. Huh? Hurts her teeth. Oh. Well, then remind me to send her 15 pounds. She's got three teeth. <laughs> well, come on, Ma. Let's get started on this. Hello, Alice. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hiya, Pop. Doggone it, Alice. Quit calling me Pop. By George, I've never raised my hand against a woman unless it was necessary. Now, now, McGee, when did you ever find it necessary to raise your hand to a woman? Why, all the time when I was in the third and fourth grades. <laughs> the only way I could get out of the room for a quick chew of bubble gum. <laughs> what was it you wanted, Alice? Uh, look, did anybody call on the phone for me? Paul called, Alice. Gee, did he? What did he say? What did he say, Molly? Search me, dear. You took the message in your own unique manner. See, I wrote it down on something. Let's see, I got it here someplace yeah. in my pocket. Huh? Oh, here's my draft card from the last war. <laughs> oh, here's a postcard from Fred Nittany from Star Rock, Illinois. He's a guy that he and I used to have a vaudeville act together, Alice. Oh, uh, what's vaudeville? Oh. <laughs> vaudeville, my dear, was a form of entertainment where the same people use the same jokes for 15 or 20 years. <laughs> oh, just like on the radio. <laughs> well, what did Mr. Nittany say, Mr. McGee? He says, dear old pal Fib, trying out for star part in Oklahoma. Wish me luck. Signed, Fred. Creepers, a star part in Oklahoma. Isn't that super? What's that postscript, dearie? Huh? Oh, it says, P.S., don't get me wrong. I'm running for sheriff in Tulsa. Ha, ha. <laughs> well, that's very funny. But where's the message you wrote down when Paul called? Well, I don't know. I just swore I had it here. Oh, here it is. Well, what does it say, Mr. McGee? What does it say? It says, Paul called. <laughs> well, Creepers, didn't he say what it was about? I seem to remember he did, but it sort of slipped my mind. Giving you a message, dearie, is like sending a carrier pigeon home with an anvil. Did you have a date with Paul, Alice? Well, tentatively, yes. I told Paul I'd go to the hockey game with him if I didn't go horseback riding with Goofer Harpstrite. Is Harpstrite that lieutenant commander, Alice? No, dearie. Mr. Harpstrite is a supply sergeant in the Army. No kidding. Imagine that. I was a supply sergeant in the last war. <clears throat> I was in charge of the officer's mess, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> well, if Paul calls again, will you... What are you going to do with all the tools, Mr. McGee? He's going to make like Dr. Davy and tap a tree for waffle gravy. <laughs> Stick around, Alice, and see how an expert sugar man milks some maple. <laughs> I'd love to, Pop. When are you going to do it? Right now, Alice. According to him, that tree is subversting the maple syrup. Why, the squirrels are bearing wheat cakes this fall. Okay. Okay, scoff if you want it. D-ride, but by George, you'll... Hello, folks. I hope I'm intruding. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Waxy. Alice, you know Waxy Wilcox, don't you? Oh, yes. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hello, Alice. You still working at the airplane plant? Yes, I am. And you know what? No, what? Well, one of the fellows that works at the next bench to mine named Morris Mendelssohn has dedicated a song to me that he just wrote. Oh, isn't that nice? What's the name of it? Mendelssohn's Welding March. <laughs> Is it copyrighted, Alice? Well, it's righted, but I don't know if it's copy. 
Look, kids, this is all very cozy, but I gotta get to work. Will you join us? Mr. Wilcox himself here is about to desap a maple tree. He's about to what? I'm gonna tap that maple tree out in front for maple syrup, Junior. And if you have any comical remarks to make, just write them down so you can see how silly they'll look later on. <laughs> well, I don't see anything funny about it. I think it's a wonderful idea. Why, so do I. You know what a maple tree always makes me think of? Yes, we do, Mr. Wilcox. It makes you think if it was cut down and made into floors and furniture, how beautiful and smart it would look if Johnson's... Oh, no, no, no. It makes me think of the National War Fund. It what? It makes me think of the National War Fund. The way it has its roots planted so firmly in good American soil. The way its hundreds of branches spread out like protecting arms. Gee, if he wasn't married, I could reach for him. <laughs> what has the National... Uh, Mr. Wilcox, what has the National War Fund got to do with our maple tree? Well, it just reminded me of it because the National War Fund is right in your front yard, too, in a way. Giving generously to charity is as typically American as a maple tree. And this is the greatest charity of them all. In fact, it's a combination of practically all of them. It's a united appeal for 120 related war causes. One of these days, a representative will call on you folks, and uh, I hope you'll really give. Is it deductible, Junior? The reason I ask is that the government can ask such nasty questions. <laughs> I mind one year I loaned myself 45 bucks, and I charged it off as a bad debt because I knew I'd never get it back from myself. Certainly it's deductible. <laughs> Look, you actually pay only a portion of the money you give because you can charge off up to 15% of your individual income on war fund contributions. You see, it covers not only community projects, but it supports thousands of clubs for servicemen and women and merchant seamen, relief for our fighting allies, and sends aid to American prisoners of war. Look, kids, just bear this in mind when they ask you to donate. An American war prisoner has to live with the enemy. Send him some help, and you'll find it easier to live with yourself. And now, uh, what was this about maple syrup? I'm going to tap that tree out in front, Junior. Want to stick around and see how it's done? We'll need all the help we can get, Mr. Wilcox. If it doesn't start flowing, we may have to squeeze the tree. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous, Molly. Gee whiz, the minute you bore a hole... Alice, stop staring at Mr. Wilcox. Hmm? Oh, uh, excuse me. I didn't realize I was staring. I was just thinking what a big, handsome, uh, what a beautiful... Uh, I mean, those strong, sturdy limbs and... Gee, I think I'll go out and look at that maple tree again. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you're safely married, Mr. Wilcox. I think you've made a conquest. Not that you haven't, uh, you wouldn't have lots of competition. She's a very popular kid, isn't she? Popular? Just sit by our telephone some evening, Junior, if you want to know for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> <laughs> Now, look, McGee, if you're just going to stand around with that brace and bit in your hand... Oh, my gosh, almost forgot. Come on, Junior. You're going to see as artistic a job of maple syrup production as you ever... Uh, come in. Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hello, Harlow. Hi, Doc. And how are you today, dreamboat? <laughs> We're all fine, strange to say, considering the spectacular incompetence of our family physician. And if you think I mean anything personal, you're darn right. <laughs> Won't you sit down, Doctor? No, thanks, Molly. I've got a maternity case waiting for me at the hospital. Mm. Serviceman's wife. She hasn't got much money, so I give her a little extra attention. Say, what do you do, Doc? Overcharge your rich patients so you can go easy on the unlucky ones? Certainly. Robin Hood with a stethoscope. That's me. <laughs> a germicidal Jesse James. <laughs> Billy the Kid with a kidney pill. <laughs> I can make one wealthy hypochondriac pay for ten cases of mumps on the other side of town. Is that ethical, Doctor? It is if you tell them what you're doing, and I do. I say, look, Mr. So-and-so, I'm going to take out your appendix, but you're going to pay through the nose. <laughs> a fair charge for my services on this case would be 40 bucks, but I'm charging you 100 because I know a boy with a broken arm who can't afford to pay for his x-rays. They pay it and think I'm wonderful. And I am. <laughs> You great, big, benevolent burglar. Hmm? <laughs> I'll bet you stash away about 40% of that dough you chisel out of the upper crust. If I thought you really thought that, you minor accumulation of fatty tissue, I'd slap your lower maxillary so far down into your thorax it would take a laparotomy to extract your incisors. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the fatty tissue? <laughs> you big oxygen tent. You couldn't slap your way out of a wet newspaper. Oh, yeah? You got about as much... Hey, 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 wait a minute, pal. <laughs> Say, Doc, do you want to watch an interesting operation? I'd love to, my boy. 
Who's operating on whom for what? Fibber's going to perform a saparotomy on that tree out in front. <laughs> He's going to tap it for maple syrup, Doctor. Isn't that clever of him? This brace and bit is for the incision, Doc. <laughs> Keep an eye on me and you'll see a technique you couldn't have learned in that cow town college you bluffed your way through. <laughs> ah, this I shall have to see. Maybe he'll give you a few pounds of maple sugar, Doc. <laughs> I'm sure he will, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> Wonderful. To think that I should see the day when I'd act as consultant to an amateur tree surgeon. <laughs> well, the doctor seems amused. Yeah, he's just feeling superior on account of this brace and bit. Superior about what? Because I'm about to bore my first patient, and you've bored thousands of them. What? God! <laughs> Here are the King's Men to sing the trolley song. Ding, ding, bang, bang, thump, thump, bump, bump, there's please. All aboard. She was pretty in her high top shoes and her hair piled high upon her head. She went to lose a jolly hour on the trolley, but she lost her heart instead. With his light brown derby and his bright green tie, he was quite the handsomest of men. Well, he looked at her and she looked at him, then they both looked again. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went the heartstrings. From the moment he saw her, he fell. Chug, 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 went the motor, 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 bing, bang, squeak, went the brake. Thump, 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 went the heartstrings. When she smiled, he could feel the car shake. He tipped his hat and took a seat. He said he hoped he hadn't stepped upon her feet. She dropped her eyes, the blushes came. Then he grew bolder and asked her name. To beat the band He undertook to hold her dainty little hand The day was bright The air was sweet That little trolley simply shook them off their feet Buzz, buzz, buzz went the buzzer Zoom went the door with a bang Step by step they descended From the trolley with the clang, clang, clang at the Parsons, they were wedded for a honeymoon. They're headed on the trolley with a bump, rattle, buzz, jiggle, boom, sing, ding, 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 clang, 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 Well, say, I hope he doesn't damage this tree after the years I've spent telling people how to preserve and protect things made of wood. Oh, creepers, I hope he doesn't hurt it either. He seems to be awfully confident. It's a beautiful shade tree, Molly. It'd be a shame to hurt okay, it. Okay, everybody, about ready to start. What was you saying, Doc? I was saying it would be a shame to damage this beautiful shade tree, McGee. If I lived here, I'd be sitting under it all day. Ha, <laughs> ha, you'd never take the time, Doc. <laughs> You're always in such a big bustle. <clears throat> You'll pardon the expression. <laughs> hey, look, get going, will you, pal? I've still got a lot of Johnson's wax to sell today. From today on, Junior, you can give maple sugar for premiums. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny about that? Oh, come on, McGee, let's have some action Okay, here. now look, everybody. You, Alice, and Doc, and Harlow, and Molly, and me. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you may be watching the birth of a new industry in Wistful Vista. I may be laying the cornerstone of a great fortune here. Might corner the maple sugar market in the whole state. Therefore, it behooves to poke a hole in a tree without making a speech. <laughs> I'm afraid you don't appreciate the importance of this occasion, Doctor. After all, the world owes all its progress to the ingenuity of individuals. Original thinkers, like me. Thank you, Alice. I'm glad there's one person who realizes the significance of this occasion. Oh, I was just laughing at a mosquito, Mr. McGee. <laughs> <laughs> to conclude my remarks, folks, I want you all to keep this occasion strictly confidential. I don't want anybody else in town to know I'm tapping this tree for maple syrup. Well, I don't think it'll leak out, pal. <laughs> you don't think what will leak out? The information. Uh, oh, uh, I, I thought you meant the... Well, hand me the brace and bit, Molly. Here you are, sir. Do you give the tree an anesthetic? He just gave it a lot of gas in that speech. Creepers, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. McGee, I wish you'd get started. I'm all excited. Okay, here she goes. 
must be a dull bit. You ought to know. Been doing dull bits for ten years. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't seem so dull, McGee, if you were turning it to the right instead of the left. Huh? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, here we go again. Better stand back, everybody. Might come gushing out and get you all over syrup. After all, we don't... Oh, wait a minute, Mr. McGee. Wait a minute. Yeah, there was stuff you wanted to cast the syrup in. Oh. <laughs> Gee, much obliged, Bula. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> My gosh, we might have had the front yard hip deep in maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You, you sure look professional with that old bracing bit, Mr. McGee. <laughs> A lager with a auger. <laughs> okay, now, everybody, out of the way. Stand back. I'm just about to hit the sack. Ah, there she blows. Look at it, spurt out. <laughs> Reminds me of Niagara Falls. It's so different. Gushes out like a banker's tears. <laughs> Good thing you like wheat cakes, McGee. By the time you get enough syrup for them, you'll be too old to eat a steak. <laughs> just doesn't want to come out while we're watching it. Being bashful is one thing that makes a sap a sap, I always say. Doggone it now. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. There. <laughs> well, that's four drops in five minutes. We ought to have a small pitcher pull by August of 1947. <laughs> How does it taste, McGee? Yeah, try it, pal. <laughs> okay, wise guys, I will. Hmm. Hmm, not bad. All it needs is a little sugar. <laughs> What's the matter with you guys, anyway? You've done nothing but snare and snicker behind my back all afternoon. You think you could do better? Not with that maple tree, pal. And what's the matter with this maple tree? Just one little thing, bright eyes. And what's that, doctor? It isn't a maple tree. It's an elm. An elm? An elm? An elm? An elm? We hear a lot about modern streamlined living after the war. New labor-saving devices, new materials, beautiful equipment. And that reminds me that you've had one labor-saving streamlined product for quite a long time. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. No doubt your own linoleum floors are protected right now with glow coat. And you know without any word from me how many hours of work it saved you. You know how bright and cheerful it has kept these floors. Perhaps you don't realize that the regular use of glow coat will make your linoleum surfaces last six to ten times longer. Glow Coat doesn't require any rubbing or buffing. Just apply and let dry. And remember, Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat is available now. Try it for all your linoleum floors. For floors of asphalt and rubber tile also. Making like a tree sturgeon when he don't even know the difference. Beulah? <laughs> ma'am. Beulah, what on earth are you mumbling about? Oh, just thinking, ma'am. Imagine getting maple syrup out of a whole elm. <laughs> Mr. McGee, what are you going to think of next? Well, who cares? I got a week to do it in. <laughs> Good night, all. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Archie Andrews. Thanks to Joel Shonwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.